0: Stay tuned now for Byline Mendocino. Good morning. Welcome. This is Byline Mendocino. I'm your host, Alicia Bales. Byline Mendocino is a bi-weekly look at local media and local news makers. Today, we'll be talking about abortion for the whole hour with three live guests who help us understand what the overturning of Roe v. Wade means to our communities and how we can respond. I'll open the phone lines for a community conversation around 9.30 this morning. My guests are Kylea Frederick, who is a climate justice organizer with NDN Collective. She's a co-organized an abortion rights protest on Sunday in Petaluma that drew over 500 people. Kimi Barbosa is an organizer with the North Bay Organizing Project's Deep Democracy Civic Engagement Policy and the Police Accountability Task Force in Sonoma County. When the draft decision to overturn Roe v. Wade was leaked back in May, the Deep Democracy Project in- issued a statement vowing to do everything in their power to protect the vital right to abortion access for all Calling it critical to uphold our commitment to human rights and the most vulnerable in our society. And Dr. Andy Corin, who is a family practice doctor, worked in our community for over 40 years providing health care, including reproductive health care, in Mendocino County, and currently serves as our county's public health officer. He's volunteered at Planned Parenthood Clinics in the Sonoma County, in Sonoma County and locally as an abortion abortion provider. And this morning my goal is to make connections. Um, We're going to make connections between the social justice uh, community organizing that Kalia and uh, Kimi Du with NDN Collective and the North Bay Organizing Project's Deep Democracy Initiative, and abortion rights justice. What are the connections there? Um, safe and legal abortion access is supported by an overwhelming majority of Americans, and the current decision by the Supreme Court shows that our country is lurching toward minority rule by powerful right-wing conservatives. What does this mean for our country? What does it mean for our communities? And what does it look like to effectively fight back? Uh, in the second half of the show, we'll talk more in depth with Dr. Corin about abortion health care, hopefully dispelling myths about the procedure itself and exploring what it means to his many patients who've sought to end pregnancies. I'll also open the phone lines for listeners to call in with questions and comments about our new reality after Roe v. Wade was overturned last Friday by the Supreme Court. I also want to mention that there are two rallies planned today in Mendocino County to support abortion rights in Ukiah at four o'clock at the county courthouse on State Street and in Fort Bragg at five o'clock at Fort Bragg Town Hall at 363 North Main Street. So welcome, Kalea, Kimi, and Andy. I'm so grateful for you to join me today on Byline Mendocino. Thank you for having us.
1: Yeah, good morning. Good
0: morning. And, um, I'm sorry, Kylea, is that how I pronounce your name? It's Kylea. Kylea. Okay. Kylea and Kimmy. Let's start with you. Um, can you introduce the work uh, that you do as organizers and how it intersects with abortion rights? How does reproductive freedom relate to, um, climate and Kalia's case and, and Kimmy in your work toward deep democracy? And we'll start with you, Kylea.
2: Thank you for having me. And, um, you know, Kimmy and I, you know, we we are organizers in the same county, but Andy, I just want to say it's such an absolute pleasure to be able to get to share space with you this morning um, and hear more about some of the vital work that you have been a part of in your county so i i am a climate justice organizer i have been a part of the climate and environmental justice movement spaces for the last decade and i currently work as a climate justice organizer with an organization called ndn collective as alicia shared um, ndn is a, a national-based um, indigenous run and staffed organization and our mission is to um, support indigenous people with building power um, i you know Even though I, you know, very specifically have been honed in in the spaces of climate change, um, you know, one of the things I think it's it's really critical to understand about reproductive rights and reproductive justice is that it's an intersectional issue. Just as climate change is an intersectional issue, um, climate change touches many aspects of our life, um, as do our, you know, our ability to. Um, have, you know, ultimately consent and full sovereignty over our own bodies. Um, One of the things that I wanted to just uplift is, you know, in terms of how these issues are connected. um, I myself, um, I'm a mother to a four-year-old, and I actually found out that I was pregnant 48 hours before the Tubbs fire started in Sonoma County in 2017. Um, which meant that I was considered immediately someone who was high risk because of the amount of smoke exposure that we were we were going through. Um, but I also had to, you know, the very first moment of my pregnancy um, was considering what it meant to be under evacuation. And I did all of my prenatal visits um, while enduring intensive smoke exposure. Um, I actually I actually um, p- participated in a study via U.S. Um, UC Davis because there wasn't a lot of information and there's still not a lot of information about what it means for pregnant people and newborns to endure the amount of smoke exposure that we do in our counties that um, deal with um, massive fires. Um, and so just to say that I myself understand on an intimate level what it means to actually um, have to carry a human and into this world during times of extreme weather events. I myself then had an abortion at the end of 2019. Um, sorry, at the end of 2020, um, which was the you know the end of the very first year of the pandemic that you know we have all we've all been impacted by. And I just felt aware as someone who has, um, you know, one works in climate change and then through the pandemic watched a lot of our systems have to endure and become, you know, all the more fragile. I understood the again, just the reality of what it meant to bring a child into the world. And so for me, choosing to have an abortion and seeking out an abortion in a safe space, um, you know, was critical. I, you know, as an organizer, <laughs> I thought to myself, how is it that I'm supposed to endure um, growing a child while I have a toddler with no outside support because we're in a pandemic um, and not even sure what the medical system will be in the next you know in the coming nine months it, will it be um, fully functional and and capable of intaking you know this child that I'm carrying um, so you know just I wanted to bring in a few of those those grounding personal points um, but women and girls globally are um, the ones that are disproportionately impacted by climate change and so um, when we say that um, women, girls, and anyone with the uterus does not have the ability to have autonomy over their bodies and um, how many children or if they even are going to bring in any children into the world um, in a time of climate change where they are already the ones who, who hold the, the most stressors. Um, what we're doing is, is we're saying that um, they don't matter, that their lives literally do not matter. Um, so I'm going to pause it there and I'd love to pass it over to Kimmy.
1: Thank you, Kyla, and thank you for sharing your story. Not only is it really impactful, but it shows us the importance of being vulnerable and sharing these stories, especially when there are policy decisions that happen like this. Um, so I'm Kimi Barbosa. I use she, her, A pronouns. I'm an organizer with the North Bay Organizing Project, but I've been doing grassroots organizing either in a volunteer or in an employment position for um, well over 10 years now. Um, and, you know, I come from a family of immigrants, so they're already coming into the United States um, from parents that immigrated from Brazil and having barriers to access to health care, um, mental health care, food, um, shelter, you know, there are already all of these systemic issues in place that, like Kylie said, are intersectional but i do want to talk a little bit about more of the the work that we do so deep democracy is our civic engagement arm and yet it is our voter outreach arm. but i also like to specifically say civic engagement because we reach out to everyone despite their ability or inability to vote right because again there is some of that autonomy taken away from humans depending on status um and when it comes to the supreme court decision you know i just want to say to the supreme court is usually a really slow process For social change. Um, In fact, I really don't believe that social change comes through the courts. In fact, it usually follows like societal changes, right? Usually there's some shifts in society when it comes to like desegregation, when it comes to same-sex marriages, um, and then the court makes a ruling that kind of follows that. But right now we're seeing the very opposite. Um, Like you said, Alicia, you know, peer research shows that over 61 percent of U.S. Americans support Um, access to abortions. And even those who think it should be legal still agree that there should be some exceptions. Um, So what we're seeing is, once again, it's showing us that if we don't show up, our stories and our futures will be written for us, right? So in this moment and, you know, starting yesterday, starting the day before, starting years ago, what we really need is determined state and local organizing right now to really uphold policies that protect people Um, in this case you know guaranteeing access to abortion we are fortunate to be in California which folks see as like the most progressive but I wouldn't put my guard down because of that and also what are the implications for that across the states where more predominantly people of color who already have deep histories with um, a lack of body autonomy I mean we even see when it comes to reproductive choice or lack of choice in our detention centers who we like to say it's immigrants in detention centers in this country, but to be real, those are natives in our detention centers. Um, you know, Mexican, South American, Central Americans are all indigenous to the Americas, and they are currently seen as the other and thrown in detention centers where then also that autonomy is stripped away, including how we have seen with the forced sterilization. So people of color um, have already been experiencing a lot of this lack of autonomy, the fight for autonomy, right? The lack of, um, of choice. And now I think it's hitting the mainstream and people are really getting serious. Like, oh, this is scary. Like this is affecting, you know, everyone now. So um, I'm also going to (laughs) pause and go ahead and pass it to Andy or Alicia, however you feel. Thank you. All right. Thank you both. Yeah. Andy, do you want to chime
0: in, uh, talk a little bit about your background and how you approach the issue of reproductive freedom?
3: Well, I am uh, happy to share this program with two very important people. Um, so my, uh, as, as Alicia said, I've been a family practitioner uh, since the early 70s and actually before Roe v. Wade and um, uh, experienced my first um, contact with this problem working at Cook County Hospital in Chicago as a medical student and we had we had, we had two full wards of 25 to 50 people at any one time of pregnant women who were delivering in those circumstances, which was horrible as it was just for pregnancy. But across the hall or, or down the hall actually were two more wards uh, filled with the same number of people with complications of, um, of abortions, uh, home abortions, um, infections, bleeding, and so on and so forth. Uh, And it was just—it was horrifying, both to see the care of women who were being cared for for their pregnancies and deliveries, but even more so the women who came in with um, with infections and bleeding from uh, from what was at that time illegal abortions. Uh, When I came out to California and practiced, uh, did my residency program and practiced then for over 10 years in San Francisco. um, I practiced in public clinics, but also for a time. Uh, Some colleagues and I uh, uh, worked in a private clinic in the south end of San Francisco. And because it became legal and we were very committed to women's health, uh, we began to do abortions in our office, meaning developing the procedures and getting equipment, which is kind of new, uh, and performing them in our office. And when I came up to Ukiah, um, there, there was one abortion provider in the county over on the coast, and there was no others, and uh, I believe that at our local hospitals, no abortions had ever taken place, um, and it was it was terrible. So I um, uh, uh, went through Planned Parenthood uh, to confirm my training and and uh, you know the quality of care that I gave, which is uh, a testament to, and I'll still say it, Planned Parenthood is fantastically a qualified organization, very careful about the care that they give to the, their patients, um, and then uh, began to work in Ukiah uh, to, to uh, perform abortions. And my office was picketed on a regular basis, but I will say that every time we were picketed and the signs went up in front of my office that Dr. Korn kills Ukiah's babies, I got several letters through our mail slot saying, thank you, Dr. Corn, for performing the service. Clearly women need this. and um, as the you know, as the years have gone by, uh, it, it's very clear how much better our maternal care is when we really consider abortion rights as part of reproductive care. And to separate this from reproductive care is really a travesty. It it, it, uh, it uh, is very very uh, detrimental to the health of women, uh, to their families, and so on and so forth. And so I'll stop there. And uh, just, again, want to thank you both and, uh, and, uh, and also Alicia uh, for putting this on at this very critical time in our, in our country's history.
0: All right. Well, thank you all. Thank you for your work and also for being so disciplined about passing the baton. Um, it makes my job a little bit easier. I want to remind listeners, this is Alicia Bales. It's Byline Mendocino. Today we're talking about abortion and it's a, the Roe v. Wade decision, the effect on our communities, and how to respond. My guests are Kylea Frederick, who is a climate justice organizer with the NDN Collective and who also co-organized an abortion rights protest on Sunday in Petaluma. That drew over 500 people. Kimi Barbosa is an organizer with the North Bay Organizing Project's Deep Democracy Civic Engagement Policy, uh, which is prioritizing abortion access and abortion rights as a as a critical aspect of democracy. And Dr. Andy Corin, family practice doctor, who has worked uh, as an abortion provider here in our community. Um, Kylea, let's talk – actually, Kylea and Kimmy, let's talk about uh, organizing as a response. I know probably a lot of us are wondering what to do. And it's also complicated by this idea that here in California – we're an abortion sanctuary state. We are uh, overwhelmingly supportive of abortion access as a state. Um, and so you might have this little feeling, well, you know, we don't really have to do anything. But that's not true. Uh, abortion rights are at risk here as well as everywhere else. Um, so as organizers, let's, uh, Kaila, why was your response to co-organize an, an abortion rights protest? Um, and how did you go about
2: that? This is my favorite topic of conversation. Why, why is it that we need to be organized? Why is it that we need to organize? So one of the things that I feel most grateful for in this life is that I am an organizer and that I have been trained by many different individuals who I look up to and respect um, in what it means to be building power at all times. Um, and so You know, of course, this is, you know, in many ways, this is, you know, my nine to five. This is what it is that I'm focused on is thinking, you know, tracking um, policy and thinking about how it is that we continue to, you know, as a broader social justice movement, invite people um, into a space of being educated and also onboarded into different initiatives and organizations. Um, but at this moment in time, you know, one of the things I'd like to just kind of ex- expand this conversation on, um, of course, this is focused on abortion and the overturn of Roe Ro- versus Wade. But, um, you know, we are in a moment where there is an onslaught of of issues and, um, you know, the, <laughs> the Supreme Court, um, they are... They are really on a on a warpath right now. I would say, um, you know, we just yesterday received the information, the ruling around um, EPA versus West Virginia, which is how our emissions are going to be regulated, um, and that is only the latest of of a string of decisions that they have moved forward. Um, and so, my immediate response, you know, in in a moment, is to think about. Um, how is it that I start, um, I continue communicating with my neighbors and those around me, you know, especially um, around abortion rights, states are the front lines right now. And, you know, it's absolutely critical that we reach out to um, those that are in our community and invite them into a public conversation um, around what what it is that we're dealing with. Um, and so I do want to say that with everything, um, with Regarding organizing, it's never about one individual. Um, you're always a part of a team. You're always a part of a group of people. And so there was a group of women that, um, you know, found out about this news on Friday who live in Petaluma and had the idea that they would like to put a march and a rally together. Um, and so I was just a part of that one, that one effort. But one of the things that was really important to me was, um, you know, instead of only bringing people together to hold their signs and to have that that moment of walking and, and making sure that, you know, passerbyers got to see like there are people who live here that care that at the rally that we had some, you know, we made sure to invite in a few different um, women who are currently running for elected seats, um, because this is a moment where we do really need to be building political power. Um, and so we invited in Zelinda Fisher, who's running for mayor in here in, in the town of Petaluma, um, and Sarah Amanzetta, who's running to represent um, Southern Sonoma County and Marin County in the state assembly. You know, so someone who is a criti- going to be a critical voice on a state level um, around protecting our rights. Um, and so you know we also made sure that we had petitions, we had um, vetted places where people could um, donate to, um, but also making sure to spread the message that it's not just enough to show up for this one moment um, that you you need to stay one hundred percent engaged throughout the entirety of the process. Um, and one of the things that I like to remind people is that there is a place for everyone. Um, you know, organizing is is again, um, it's something that we do together. Um, and it, it it is, you know, one of the things that we always need to do is remain inclusive. Um, and so I would just say that if if you are wondering what what is it that I can do right now outside of just donating or outside of just speaking on social media? I would say um, do your research and um, find an organization, you know, in your area that is um, addressing one of the issues that, you know, is currently under attack and send that email out. Ask, how can I get involved? It can be as simple as that. You know, and if you feel like, okay, maybe I don't hear back, send another email. Um, You know, we're in a moment where we're really we really actually just need activated community members um, who are um, not just going to sign, you know, not just going to do some of the, um, you know, general education, but we also need people who are willing to step into leadership positions. Because a part of how it is we ended up in in this current moment is that the GOP is very, very organized. They're very good at stacking um, stack stacking elected and non-elected leadership seats. Um, and so I want to just, you know, remind people that it's important to consider what kind of leadership position you can step into, and I'll pass it over to Kimmy.
1: Thank you, Kylea. Um, excuse any noise in the background. My son just woke up from a nap. <laughs> so we are co working at this current moment. Um, but yeah, I just really want to uplift a lot of what Kylea said. Um, it really is about building our leaders here. Um, as, um, as she said, you know, the opposition, our opposition is highly organized. They're in our school boards, they're in all of these smaller um, positions of power that really shape local policies. And the reason I really prefer and enjoy grassroots organizing is because you can see the impact. Okay, Come here. Is that, you can see the and moms in- are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no child care today. He's six months too, so he's uh very needy at this moment, but um um Right. So as I was saying, some of the actions that we took or some of the steps that we took, in fact, the, the day we heard about the ruling, we had already planned our advanced leadership training, um, North Bay Organizing Project has, where we brought in people from our local area to teach them different skills that really help with community organizing. Um, you know, we have power base building. We have our, um, power analysis, um, really looking at the landscape of our local politics to see what are the consequences if we don't show up? What are the poten- What's the potential if we're able to really shift a lot of the narrative and shift the policy locally Um, you know and and that's where my role really comes in as a community organizer is that um you know i reach out to the community we do canvassing we do deep deep relationship building and we identify folks who have the potential for that leadership and build up that leadership for sustainable movement because it really shouldn't really um all lie on one person We, if one person steps out of the mix, so say I'm organizing this march, and I've been kind of leading the cause here. And if something happens to me, maybe I come down with COVID or I move, you know, the movement shouldn't stop with me. It really is about building genuine leaders in our community, and reaching out to communities who are often at the forefront and the first ones affected who should be speaking like a lot of the time we see. That when we have conversations on language justice, why do we not include folks who speak indigenous languages or other languages besides English, why are things not translated right so thinking about that. um, And also, um, you know just I wanted to make a side note when we're talking about reproductive rights it's not just a women's issue trans men non-binary folks also experience pregnancy um so i just wanted to put that in there because when we're organizing for these things we want to make sure we organize you know not just women right not just women um another thing too um around organizing is you know when we have these Oh, sorry. One second.
0: He is um, most welcome here on KZYS. <laughs> <laughs> he,
1: he wants to uh, play, and I'm trying to keep him from getting into trouble while we're having a conversation. And unfortunately, it's kind of throwing me off a little bit, but- He's um, hopefully expressing his is... leadership qualities. <laughs> yes, he's he's <laughs> actually been to marches and um, rallies with me already at six months. So already jumping in, right? That lifelong- <laughs> Lifelong Advocacy. Um, Yeah. You know, um,
0: my son is 18 and he is uh, making his poster for today's abortion rally in Ukiah at four o'clock at the courthouse. So I'm very proud of the response by um, by our kids, too. But anyway.
1: Right. um (laughs) Yes. Bring your children. And, and you know, one thing that we did, too. I'm just trying to stay a little bit on track. I lose my attention span sometimes when I'm trying to multitask here, but it, the bringing the training and bringing that skill and knowledge to people is what's really important. So we did the advanced leadership training the day that Roe was decided. Um, and then we also, um, I brought a know your rights training to one of the protests we had locally, because I really felt that it was important that if people are going to be in the streets, if people are going to be marching, they really need to know what the best practices are around protesting. How do you protect yourself from something like police violence, which we would seen in the summer of 2020 across the nation, right? And and when it comes to organizing and building relationships with our local officials and making sure that we um, are able to turn people out to shape the county, right, the local politics that we want to see that really impact impact the most vulnerable. There's also accountability to those people once those people are in office, Um, but I'm going to go ahead and pause so I can help my son for a second and let someone else who may be a little bit more focused continue now. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you. Um, this is Byline Mendocino. I'm Alicia Bales, and we're talking about abortion, abortion rights, and uh, what kind of community response, what the role of organizers are. Uh, my guests are Kylea Frederick and Kimi Barbosa and Dr. Andy Corin. Kylea and Kimi are organizers uh, in Sonoma County, and I thought it was particularly uh, cool and inspiring to have uh, our our neighboring county uh representatives on because you've you've got such a robust response and organizing networks north bay organizing project is really inspiring and um i know folks here are, are wanting to get active and wanting to get involved. And I feel like you guys are a great um, example. And so I'd like to finish off this segment uh, by asking you both to tell people how they can contact you, how they can follow your work, how they can maybe participate in some of these workshops and protests and other organizing that you guys are doing.
2: Sure. Sure. I'm gonna give out my my Instagram account because that is my most public-facing place. So if you are listening to this and you would like to get involved and learn more about some of the organizing strategies that we're lying down here, laying down here in Sonoma County, um, you can reach out to me on Instagram. My it's at Kailia Frederick, and that's K A I L E A, last name Frederick. Um, And one thing I wanted to let everyone know here, all the listeners, is that there's a general national strike happening on July 5th. So um, the cohort that came together to organize the March and Rally this last Sunday in Petaluma, um, we're in big support of this. We're trying to spread the word. There's, um, you know, we want to just, I want to frame this out by saying the Center for American Progress estimates that a single day of striking by American women would cost the economy $21 billion. Um, So we really do need to demonstrate the value of our labor by declining to uh, to provide it. Um, and also the value of our purchasing power by refusing to buy anything. So this is a day to take a break and absolutely do not buy anything. Um, This is not a, this is not like a day to go shopping with the girlfriends or, you know, even go and get and pick up groceries, do your grocery shopping the day before. Um And, you know, we're, we're trying to let people know, like, invite five households, let this be um a pledge that you take maybe with five different neighbors of yours or five different friends in your community or because this is a national strike, call your friends and family that live, you know, in other states um, that are not that are maybe not, you know, you know, in your immediate vicinity and invite them to participate in this general national strike on July 5th. So um, yeah, again, you can find me at Kylea Frederick. And I look forward to striking and organizing and building power with you all, and I'll pass it over to Kimmy.
1: Thank you, Kylie, and thank you also for um, holding up that that strike. I hope everyone participates and really show. I think um, similar strikes have been done in other countries where um, similar um, issues were were they're facing similar issues, and it was very successful and very effective. Also, for me, go ahead and find us on Instagram, North Bay Organizing Project. Um, And my personal email is K Barbosa, B A R B O S A at northbayop.org. Um, I'm happy to connect you with resources. If you need trainings for your folks, um, really this cross-regional, um, like cross-pollination um, is so useful, especially when we need to bring out numbers. Um, this is just the beginning and a long-term potential for base building. You know, use this moment. Like we are in a moment now when we can make it into a movement um, and and who knows what lies ahead of us. So staying organized, knowing, knowing your neighbors um, is, crucial at this moment. And I'm happy to be a resource to anybody. So again, my um, email is kbarbosa, B-A-R-B-O-S-A at northbayop.org. Thanks so much for having me.
0: And thank you both. Um, I want to just ask, you've got the National General Strike Tuesday, July 5th, along with a boycott. Um, What about anything locally, any local events coming up?
1: In Santa Rosa, um, I'm out of Santa Rosa right now, we have our every weekend and yeah. even during the week evenings, um, people gather at the square in protests in March and rally. Um, I would keep an eye out for that. Um, there are different Facebook groups and social media uh, spaces to find these. We sometimes throw them on our um, own social media accounts. Um, and I'm sure when you find Kylia on um, her Instagram, there'll be some in there as well. Um, Kailea, any other suggestions?
2: I just really wanted to echo and throw support behind the work of North Bay organizing project. Um, you know, they are the organization that I look to locally in Sonoma County for trainings and, um, you know, organizing power. And so, you know, I'll just say, yeah, like they're the ones to really go and look to, um, they're the ones to follow. Um, and also because they do provide trainings, you know, you could, um, you know, bring a group of, you know, potentially bring a group of people together in your own community and request, um, some training support. So, um, yeah, I, I just want to echo and throw support behind, um, the organization that Kimmy is with. All right. Kailea Frederick and Kimi Barbosa, thank you so much for joining
0: us today and sharing your crucial, crucial experience and work with us. Thanks so much. Thank you. I'm going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll stay on the line with Andy Corin. We will open up the phone lines for your calls. We're talking about abortion and our community's responses, uh, what to do next. Stay tuned. I'm Alicia Bales. This is byline Mendocino, uh, We are here every other Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. alternating with Joy LeClaire and Fourth Right Radio. Thank you for listening this morning. We're talking about abortion, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, what it means for our communities and how to respond. And I am currently on the line here with Dr. Andy Corrin, who you know because he's our public health officer here in Mendocino County, but he has a long history of um, being a family practice doctor and doing um, health care, including abortion care, which is health care, Uh, Here locally in Mendocino County. So Andy, thanks for staying on the line. I appreciate everything uh, that you bring to this conversation and uh, your direct knowledge of abortion itself and what it means for for people who who seek that kind of care. I wonder if you could briefly talk about the state of abortion access in Mendocino County. Like, can people get abortions in Mendocino County? We know it's um, legal here in California, but that doesn't mean that it's easy to access.
3: Uh, yeah, thank you. So <clears throat> so we do have a Planned Parenthood uh, outlet right across the street from Adventist Health, Ukiah Valley, on Hospital Drive here in Ukiah. And um, let me just say that their telephone number right off the bat is 707-462-4303, and they offer pregnancy testing, contraception, morning after pills, medical abortions, and abortion referral, they offer also STD care, HIV care, women and men's health, and transgender health. So they are really the the standout organization provider for women's health at this time. Um, I am unfortunately not familiar with the training that's going on of our new resident within our new residency program. Uh, part of the American Academy um, for that oversees. Uh, Family Practice Residency Program does require uh, training in abortions, but it may be uh, waived in certain cases, and I have the feeling that in our local uh, medical community, it's not something that is pushed. Maybe some of the uh, providers can provide uh, medical uh, abortion prescriptions, but I don't think any procedures are being done in Mendocino County at this time legally. I'm sure there's always the possibility that someone will utilize uh, a, uh, a dangerous, you know, home uh, uh, method of trying to terminate a pregnancy. Um, so that's the situation now. Hopefully, our providers are making full recommendations when they see women in their office who are pregnant and want to terminate their pregnancy. Uh, there's another group of women who have high-risk pregnancies or pregnancies that um, that require um, uh, abortion because it would be high risk for the woman and the fetus really is is um, is found to be uh, genetically uh, um, damaged and in other ways may be damaged and there may be an indication for an abortion and in other states keep in mind that medical abortion and um, and procedural abortion the therapeutic abortions. Uh, may be threatened not only for women who elect to go that way with their pregnancy, which is a perfectly reasonable decision to make for many reasons, uh, but the uh, other, uh, other states may also uh, threaten the availability of abortions, medical and procedural abortions, for women who need it for their health. Uh, yeah. And of course, abortions also uh, help uh, in other areas of, uh, of health care, Um, and family care, uh, we can get into that some more, but hearing. Yeah, right.
0: One of the things I really want to make clear, uh, from, in our conversation is that abortion is, uh, is a very safe procedure. Um, i 've yep. heard it compared to uh, it 's less risky than dental procedures i mean it's it's you guys you know how to do it it 's very safe and in um the best you know there are there are certain things that need to be in place for the best outcomes um but compared to home abortions um or you know non medical abortions which are incredibly dangerous um abortions by a qualified medical provider in a in a medical um, situation a clinic those are really safe and and like other than all of the you know fraught psychological emotional you know the the guilt the shame all of the stuff that's imposed on women about this um it's not traumatic it's not physically traumatic and in, in most cases like that's kind of one thing that i want to make clear is that this is something that um you know that We hear so much discourse about it. So, so scary and so fraught. And it's really just a very simple, simple procedure. Can, do you agree with that?
3: Well, let me just say that it's a, it's an essential part of reproductive care. There's just no question about it. Um, And when you compare its safety to childbirth, it's much safer. Um, so I don't want to scare anybody off from getting pregnant because we love babies and we love people to get pregnant and so on and so forth. It's a happy time of people's lives. Uh, but when it's wanted. And, and, and it's wanted. Yeah, when it's wanted. Uh, but childbirth mortality uh, is much greater than the first trimester therapeutic abortions or other medical abortions, the, the pills that they that they can prescribe. Um, the complications in childbirth are much greater than than uh, with abortion the cdc estimates the risk of dying in childbirth to be 50 to 130 times greater than death that comes from abortions so it's a much safer procedure if you're not if you don't want your pregnancy will i say it's not traumatic and is it easy listen um when you really talk to women who are uh, pregnant and they're surprised at first. Of course, I think most are very, very happy, but for those who are ambivalent about it, that's traumatic. Mm-hmm. You have to make a decision that's going to affect your family and your whole life. And then making a decision t- to terminate a pregnancy is is a difficult decision. Women need to be supported during that. Um, and it can be traumatic uh, mm-hmm. until you've made the decision and it's over. And then it can be traumatic afterwards in terms of for some women, uh, recovering and there's some feelings of guilt, but there can also be hugely more uh, consequential uh, complications that come from following through with childbirth. Certainly, one that is mm-hmm. not desired. And so, right. And
0: I don't mean to diminish any any person, any woman, or a person with the uterus's experience of you know the difficult decisions. But physically, that's kind of what I mean. It's like physically, it's a pretty simple procedure.
3: Yes, it's it's a very straightforward procedure. Like I said, we set it up uh, 50 years ago in, in my office in San Francisco, and it requires appropriate uh, procedures, uh, sterility uh, in the during the procedure. You don't have to. Everybody doesn't have to dress up in sterile garb like a like a surgery. We do it on the outpatient basis, uh, but you have to be careful in how you're doing it, the equipment you're using, and so on and so forth. But under those circumstances, it's extremely safe. There are complications, but they're relatively much easier uh, to deal with than anything uh, involved in, in continuing the pregnancy.
0: And it's a really good point that you know when women or people with uteruses are deciding what to do, you know, weighing if it's a wanted pregnancy, you know, you're looking at the the risks, but the relative risk of abortion versus childbirth is. night and day it's like there's very little risk with abortion there are real risks with with pregnancy and childbirth but let's compare it rather instead to not to childbirth but to illegal or outside of a clinic abortions when people try to do home abortions or the different ways that they try to terminate pregnancy when they can't access safe legal abortion that's also very dangerous is that right
3: it is very dangerous. Unfortunately, I don't have the data on that at this point. And the problem with collecting that data is it's an illegal procedure. It's not reported. Um, the only ones that would be reported would be the ones that had severe enough complication that they went to the hospital or they died without going to the hospital. So yeah, so I don't have the data, but I certainly know from, and you know I think all physicians and nurses know, uh, if you see a woman who's had a uh, uh, "Quote unquote illegal or home abortion, that the risk of infection and bleeding and other risks that come from from that process are are very great and they're very significant and much higher than it is for uh, for a medical abortion."
0: You said you were. Um, uh doing your residency at a time when before Roe v. Wade and you were working in a maternal ward in Chicago. So you saw women who were um, dealing with the consequences of illegal abortions uh, as they were trying to terminate pregnancies without the, the legal protections. What was that like?
3: Well, it was before my residency. It was while I was in medical school oh. in Chicago and at Cook County Hospital. But um, as I said, we would have almost equivalent numbers of people in, uh, in the, in the uh, um, septic wards that were predominantly from illegal abortions, uh, the same number of women as would be in the labor and delivery uh, wow. force. So it was a, a huge number. Uh, and of course, they were, they were in pain. They were suffering. They needed in, in intravenous antibiotics, uh, infusions of blood. Uh, surgeries to repair organ damage uh, there was there was a lot of problems there are a lot of problems with uh, with home abortions um, so it's it's horrible that our Supreme Court has decided that they are gonna um, that they are going to expose our women uh, uh, to those kinds of uh, uh, outcomes uh, without allowing a perfectly safe, very reasonable, accepted part of pregnancy care. I mean, they've done this kind of thing, uh, judging medical procedures within the courts, which is completely inappropriate. I mean, the courts uh, do not have a sense of what the medical consequences are of what they're doing. Uh, They try and get it from this and that and the other thing, but they don't experience it firsthand, either from the provider's point of view or especially from the woman and her family's point of view. They just don't have that experience.
0: All right. Well, let's go ahead and open up the phone lines. Uh, It's the number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. I don't think yet we've had an opportunity for a community conversation about uh, what's happening with abortion rights and Roe v. Wade in our country. So we're going to go ahead and take our first phone call. Good morning, caller. You are live. Good morning, caller. You are live on the air.
4: Well, good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm a woman who's in her late 70s, and I had an illegal abortion when I was 14 after being molested by a family friend. And I was fortunate that it was somebody who was medically trained, but it was without anesthetic, and it was very, very traumatic. And I just cannot um, – I am so appalled at how we have gone back to that, to those days after all this time, after 30 years of row. And I just want to say that, you know, as kind of a lifelong atheist, I am just um, enraged at the fact that somebody is opposing their religious beliefs on me. And so that's all. That's all I'm going to say. Thank you. All right. Thank you for um, calling
0: with that story. I'm really sorry to hear that that happened to you.
3: Uh, Alicia, let yeah. me just add another fast fact here. Twenty five percent of American women have a therapeutic abortion by the time they're 45 years old. This is not a small, no. insignificant group of people. It's a very important part, like I said, of reproductive health care.
0: It's common, and it, it is something that uh, everybody that you know probably has some experience with. Uh, let's take our next call. Good morning, good morning, caller. You're live on the air.
5: Good
0: morning. Go ahead and turn your radio off. Hi.
4: caller. You're live on the air. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Good morning. Uh First of all, there used to be abortions done at the Coast Hospital in Fort Bragg, and I'm wondering what happened to that. And I'm also furious about how our um, freedoms are being taken away by the religious right. I actually went to seminary to study Judeo-Christian, Buddhist, and um, Islamic ethical traditions. And in uh, seminary, you get, uh, I was lucky to be at a progressive seminary where they really looked into the scholar scholar research on how these religious texts came about. And there's nothing in uh, the Christian uh, Bible or the Gospels that talk about abortion, homosexuality. This is uh, made up. This is uh, uh, elites taking over, um, uh, going back centuries to control people and especially women. So people need to understand this is not um, like (laughs) come down from God. This has come down from men and misogyny. So, but I'd like to know what happened to our, um, the abortions that were being done at the hospital. I mean, and that's no longer true, I hear. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call.
3: Yes. I understand that actually when I first came to town and when I said I was doing them in my office, Uh, there was an obstetrician, gynecologist, Dr. Goodman, who was performing abortions. And I believe it was either in his office or at the hospital, which was a district hospital at that time. And I I think he has since retired. And I think that because the hospital is now um, part of the Adventist health system, I don't think that service is provided on the coast at all. And
0: that's because Adventist is a religious organization?
3: Well, they don't feel that abortions are, they're, let me put it this way, they're prejudiced against abortions. So when I was uh, performing abortions, and this is over 20 years ago here in Ukiah, uh, there were some indications for having abortions in the hospital. Most of it was as an outpatient, it was fine. Uh, But there were sometimes indications for having an abortion in the hospital, someone who really desperately needed anesthesia. I remember one woman was very young and very frightened, but she definitely knew she did not want a, um, a childbirth at that time. And uh, we requested having an inpatient um, you know, anesthetic team. And it's a very, it's a, you know, the procedure is uh, 20 minutes. Uh, some can do it faster in certain situations. Uh, some take a little bit more time, it, it depends, but it's not a wrap, it's not a, a time consuming procedure. But it had to go through an ethics committee. And I remember sitting in the ethics committee. And, uh, you know, if you couldn't uh, um, prove that it was medically necessary, it was a threat to the woman's life, then in that context at that time, they would not permit it. So I was not able to to do it in the hospital. And because of that, I referred that uh, those people out of the county uh, to get their abortions and and, uh, and worked with uh, people in Santa Rosa.
0: So now that kind of process does sound a little traumatic, you know, um, having to go and ask a panel to decide if you are, have the, the right to this procedure and then having to go out of your hometown, uh, and I mean, this is like this is where abortion is fully legal and accessible um, and even um, under you can get it paid for under Medi-Cal and, and other programs if you qualify. And still, you have to go through through these hoops. Um, we have another caller. Let's go ahead and take that. Hey, caller, you're live on the air.
5: Yes. Thank you for taking my call. Um, am I on the air? Yes, you are. Oh, okay. Um, I think the Supreme Court decision was saying that it, the state, the government, now owns a woman's uterus. And as a gay man who's been with my husband for forty-three years, I know that I am also next on the li- the hit list. So uh, it's not it's not only women who are. Uh, being affected by this it's men who want to have a sexual relationship with uh, their a woman in their life uh, are also being told that every time they have intercourse uh, they must take the responsibility for potentially having a child so it's in everybody's interest to uh, uh, somehow get the message across to this very radical majority on this this supreme court who is changing this nation rapidly to the far right that they need to be stopped and mitch mcconnell and his gang they must be stopped uh, we're all concerned and we're all worried and uh, so anyway about our democracy thank you for the
0: show. Yeah, thanks thank for you. the call. And I feel like uh, when we're looking at the dynamics of minority rule coming after not just women's reproductive freedom, but exactly what you're saying, civil rights for gay folks, for um, trans folks, racial justice, voter suppression and, and access to, to the ballot box, all sorts of issues. Uh, the environment, climate change, that one got yeah. you know got axed yesterday. The EPA is not supposed to regulate emissions. Um, now, according to the Supreme Supreme Court as as minority rule gets entrenched, we're, uh, the tools that we may have used to fight back are going to possibly become less and less accessible to us as the democratic process becomes um, disempowered and uh, less accessible to people and i 'm just thinking very much about um, how we fight back in that context as as um, as the minority you know tightens its grip around our democratic processes and breaks them, how do we advocate uh, to fight back against them any thoughts well as
5: Nancy Pelosi said we must all vote we cannot we can no longer cast protest votes we can no longer sit home and not vote everybody who believes in uh, freedom must vote that's, the, that's our best way to uh, how, how do I say it That's our best way to defeat what's going on right now, because this is fascism. It's nothing short of fascism. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you so much for that call. And uh, I do want to take more calls, but we are... Right at the end of the show, we just have a couple of minutes left, and I don't want to have people get cut off. So, um, so Dr. Corrin, um, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. Um, I want to just give you an opportunity for the last word, and then I want to announce the um, abortion rights rallies that are happening locally.
3: Well, hopefully what I say is not the last word. Hopefully there'll be many more rallies, and uh, it'll be not only in California, but around the United States. And this rogue su- Supreme Court is going to be stopped in its track. Uh, it's it's doing terrible things to uh, women's health, but also to men's health, family health, um, and uh, and to democracy in our country. I mean, I think uh, Alicia, what you were saying is absolutely true. It's a rogue Supreme Court at this point, um, and we need to defend democracy. And I agree with the the person who said we need to vote. Uh, but you know. Uh, the minority is ruling uh, as far as the electoral college goes, as far as uh, dominating Congress with uh, representatives from states with much less um, uh, popular uh, um, uh, approval. And uh, and so we're not living in a democratic environment at this point. Uh, we do have to fight to preserve what we have. We need to build it more. Uh, as far as the abortions go, this is, I agree with the uh, caller who said it's not only uh, protecting women, and I would I have added also families, gay uh, gay men and women as well, transgender people. Uh, I also wanted to to say that um, um, this is going to potentially affect the ability to do IVF, uh, fertility work, uh, because in doing fertility work, remember uh, many times the um, uh, what's implanted is many more. Uh, fertilized embryos then can safely be carried to term and so the, uh, the fertility experts will eliminate one or two of the embryos that don't seem like they're doing well so that at least one pregnancy can survive. If that right gets taken away or threatened, then uh, in vitro fertilization, uh, those kind of techniques could also be threatened. The impact on the health system in, in the United States is going to be huge. There are going to be many, many more women who are going to be coming with um, uh, with unsafe, uh, partially effect, you know, unsafe managed abortions with uh, partial uh, abortions, and uh, and then also women who have miscarriages in those states that can look exactly like an abortion, and there are many providers who will back away from providing care for those women. So, so this is a huge uh, a huge um, uh, uh, assault on women's health. But also healthcare in the entire United States, including California, will be affected in California by people coming to California who can't get reproductive healthcare in their own communities. And, um, and so it'll be more difficult for our emergency rooms, our primary care people, OBGYNs to manage that here. I'll stop. Yeah, I'm going to
0: have to leave it there. I want to thank you very much, Dr. Corrin. um, And it's really inspiring to know about this part of your work with um, women and abortion care. So thanks for coming on to talk about it. There will be two um, abortion rights protests today or rallies today in Mendocino County one at 4 o'clock in Ukiah, one at 5 o'clock in Fort Bragg. In Ukiah, it's at the courthouse. In Fort Bragg, it's at Town Hall. Um, I want to thank you very much for listening. Thanks so much for calling, and I'll be back with you in two weeks. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red Donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.